You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. There's a real sense that God has been moving by His Spirit in the room this morning. I, I encourage you, if you felt His Spirit kind of pulling on something in you, let, let Him pull it. Let Him bring it right out. It, it might be that you're afraid that it's a, thre- a thread, that if you pull that one thread, the whole thing's going to come apart. But I tell you what, you can trust Him. You can trust him. So if he's pulling on something this morning, let him do it. And it might be for some of you that he's drawing out praise like has never come out of your lips before. Let it come. Like, do not be afraid, certainly not in this house, to lift your heart, to lift your voice in praise. It might be that there's some things that you've been wrestling with that he's pulling. Let them come. Because the only way, what he's going to unravel is the stress, is the anxiety, is the depression, is the difficulty, is the heartbreak. That's what he is going to unravel. He's not going to unravel you. He's going to unravel the things that bind you. Amen. You know, as Margaret said, we believe in a God who speaks today. Uh, And we believe that he speaks in various ways to us. All of those ways are accountable to scripture. Every single thing that we say, whether it's a preach, whether it's a prophetic utterance, whether it's somebody sharing a picture or something that's happened, everything is weighed and discerned upon. The validity and the strength and the authenticity of scripture. And I believe, with that said, that God has spoken into this room already today. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) And he's got more to do this morning, which is really good. Really good. I'm really excited about this message. In fact, I'm excited about this whole series. We're in the book of Philippians. We've taken three weeks to get two verses in, okay. Um, And I I don't know if you know of a guy called Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He wrote a book on, well, he started preaching sermons on the book of Romans, and I think it took him something like, well, I don't know how many years, but it took him years to get through the first couple of verses. I mean, like, the guy really went into it deep. I'm not trying to be Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. You know, we're not going to be in Philippians in 2025. We might have come back to it, but we won't be in it. But today we're going to move on a little bit. We're going to be uh, going from verse 3, Philippians 1 verse 3 to 8. So if you do have a Bible or a device that your Bible is on, have that ready, but it will also come up on the screen. But just before we get there, I want to ask you a question this morning, um, or a, a range of questions, and I am going somewhere with this. So the question is this, how many churches have you been to? Think it out. I don't want you to show me, you know, numbers, digits, what have you. How many churches have you been to? Are there some that you've just kind of like visited? Like, we're just dropping by, you know, I'm on holiday, I'm going to drop into the church. Maybe some that you've attended, like you've been a part of that church. How many? How many would that be? Uh, How many churches have you left? 
That's a difficult question. That's a difficult question. How many churches have you left? How many in good circumstances? How many perhaps in not so good circumstances? And honestly, I don't want to get bogged down in that today. That's not the point. And I I know that for some people that could be painful. For some of us, we may have left churches for heartbreaking reasons. I'm not digging into that today. I don't want to drag that up, so I'm just going to put that there. I'm talking about churches that we've left just because we've left, okay? Did some of those churches leave pleasant memories? Think about it. Some of the churches you've been to, do they leave a lingering, joyful, pleasant memory? Do they stir affection in you? Do do they provoke thankfulness when you think of the people of that church, when you remember them? Have there been any that from the first day that you attended until now, you would still call that church home? And don't worry, I'm not going to get offended by that, okay? Honestly, you see yourself still as part of the family. You might have left attendance of that church many years ago, but they they will always, they're your guys, they're your people, you get it. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying, right? You love those people. That's what it should be like. That's what it should be like. You know, the most healthy way to leave a church is not to leave a church. I'm going to explain what I mean, because I'm not saying you're locked in. (laughs) All right, David, seal the doors. Everybody's in here now. Look, I want to explain that, because we need to understand what we're talking about when we're talking about church Um, anyway. We need to keep reminding ourselves. It's healthy to keep reminding ourselves what church is. But look, in some ways... I have never left a church as a believer. Since I, in 1997, 20 years old, became a believer, I have never left a church since then. There's some that I've visited, like I'm trying you out. You know, maybe when I've moved into a new area, I'll kind of case out the joints, see what's about there, find what fits for me, yeah? But, but actually, I didn't really connect with them, and, and so they were never like the church that I attended, I just visited. Maybe some like on holiday that I visited. But... There's never been a church that I've really connected with, really gone deep with, that I've ever left. And so there are four churches, just four in 20 years, four churches. Um, Alverstoke Evangelical, Evangelical Church in, in Gosport, I spoke a bit about them last week. Uh, Brackler Tabernacle, my first apostolic church in uh, Bridgend in South Wales. Sunny Hill, another apostolic church in Poole in Dorset, and then Riverview Church. That's it. And I never left any of those churches. Alverstoke Evangelical, I just moved across the country and it was too far to attend. So, so I joined with, I didn't leave Brackler, uh, sorry, Alverstoke, I joined with Brackler, and, and then I've got a bigger family, you see? Uh, and then when I left Bridgend to go to Bible College down on the south coast, I, I didn't leave Brackler, but I moved, and so I joined another, my family got even bigger then. And then finally, when we were called to leave Sunny Hill, we'd been there for 15 years. We had gone deep. We had roots. We had been through all of the pain and hurts. We'd come out the other side. And these were our family, and we loved them and love them still. And now we're here. And I never want you to think that I am pining for three other churches while standing before this one, because I love this church. You are part of my family now. 
From the first day, all of those churches supported me, like championed me, encouraged me, brought something out, taught me something different. From the first day, all different, all family. Now, Simon Morris, I've got to redeem him from last week, because I know I told you that he shot me in the head with a paintball gun, point-blank range, and he's coming in two weeks' time, and I don't want you all, like, cussing him or, like, going, what did you do to our pastor? So I'm going to redeem him now, because Moz agrees, and he put this on Facebook. I know you can't really see it. I'm sorry. But it, he says, Brackler Tabernacle, Wales, Riverview, Boness, Sunny Hill, Paul, and something in Norwegian that I cannot pronounce, um, he says, you match this quote. Thankful is what he says. And the quote is, church is not something you go to, it's a family you belong to. That's exactly what church is. Well done, Simon, you've redeemed yourself. Still family, I never left any of those churches. I still look back with affection and joy and thankfulness when I think of them. Now, just to recap, obviously I've done this in brief already. We're in Philippians. For the last three weeks, we've really majored in on grace. We've looked at grace and peace, mostly on grace. And then we've looked at grace to you as a gift and grace that goes with you, transforming you from the inside out. And now we're here where we're looking at, and I've got to go back to my title, being grace partakers, sharers in that grace. And so here we are, Paul writing to the believers in Philippi, and it's becoming really clear, even these few words into his letter, it's becoming abundantly clear that he has a good relationship with these people. He, he doesn't address them as Paul, an apostle, like in other words, I'm going to lay some smack down on you right now. He, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. So his whole demeanor coming into the letter is softer, more affectionate. He doesn't address some of them, like to the good Christians in the church in Philippi, he addresses all of them, and he puts the church before he puts the leaders, and I think that's quite significant. And now in today's context, we see that Paul enduringly has great affection for them that he's thankful for them, that he considers them, get this, to be a source of joy to him. Consider where he is, by the way, and we'll get here in a couple of weeks. Paul is in prison, and he's saying, you guys, you're lighting the flame in my heart right now. I, my source of joy isn't in the circumstances around me, it's in thinking of you, it's in remembering you, the affection that I have for you is causing joy to bubble up in these circumstances. And so though he's not with them physically, this is not a church that he has left. This is a church that he is very much a part of and they of him. So let's go to Philippians uh, chapter one, verse three to eight. Listen to this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's his return to us. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. 
And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share or partake in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, before I dig into this a little bit today, there's some interesting grammar here. Um, I'm open to correction here, but the way I've read this in the New King James Version um, and the way I've read this in an interlinear Greek version, that means that you get the Greek and the English together. That's really handy if you don't speak Greek. But the way that I read these verses, it's kind of like one sentence until you get to verse 8, which is that last bit about, um, about God can testify how I long for you all. So the rest of all of that is one sentence. Now that's important because what you need to know is that it's one thought. This isn't Paul saying, hey, here's a bumper sticker for you. Chuck that on your coffee mug and drink it in the morning. Like he's not, like when he's talking about he who began a good work in you, it's not abstract from everything else that he's talking about here. Okay, so it matters, it's part of it. So, so important, it all works together. So one thought, however, within this there are four parts. Okay, so Ian, Margaret, you're going to love this because all four parts have a D in them. (laughs) (laughs) These are what I want us to kind of explore today. And I think we're probably only going to get to two of these Ds today. The first one is the depth of Paul's joy and affection. The second point is the distinction of partnership. What what distinguishes partnership, as Paul talks about it here? Number three, the dimensions of partnership. Like, how vast is it? What does it fit? And then number four is the durability of the partnership. All four important. So today we'll look at the depth of Paul's joy and affection, maybe get on to distinction, and if we don't, it's fine. It means I don't have to write a preach while I'm on holiday in October. It's already done, which would be a win. Um, First of all, then, the depth of joy and affection. Like, look at how Paul describes his feelings for them. Firstly, he says thankfulness, gratitude. What these people have done is stirred something in Paul that has caused thankfulness and gratitude. Something they've done, something that they are, has provoked this within him. Now, I don't want to sound callous here, but there are people that I've met in life, people that I've walked a little bit with, that I've got on with, that I like, people that I enjoy their company, but I I honestly don't really remember them now. I mean, the older you get, the more that's a reality, right? But but it's not because there was anything wrong with them, but I just barely remember them. But then there are those that I remember. Now, there's some that I remember for poor reasons. You know, if you've... uh, How many teachers are there in here? Ex-teachers, teachers, one, two... Okay, only a couple. Okay, a few. Like, you know... Like, you can associate a name to a behavior really easily, can't you? Like, I've never met a Connor who's not mischievous. <laughs> you know, it's just the way it is. But isn't it true that the kids that you remember are either the really standout kids that are amazing or the really problematic kids that just do your nothing? Those are the ones you remember. It's not that you're being callous or careless, but you tend to forget the middle ground, okay? And it's true with us in life with who we walk with. 
Some people, their memory lingers in your mind and it's not good, but there are those who, when you think of them, it stirs gratitude. You know, you can identify with this, just stirs this sense within you. And that's how it goes with Paul, and then that leads somewhere. The gratitude leads to this, prayers with joy. Like he prays for these people with joy. Not compulsion, not chore, but joy. In in fact, this prayer with joy, it's not chore, not bore, not burden. That is how Paul is praying for these people. It's not something he says with no substance, like when you pass somebody in the supermarket and you say, oh, I'm praying for you. <laughs> like, I, maybe you are. <laughs> but I know that I've said that sometimes and walked away and forgotten. And the reality is probably some of you have done that as well. Like, I now make it my intention that if I walk past somebody and go, I'm praying for you, I'll do it right there and then. Even if it's not out loud, I'll do it right there and then so I can live up to let my yes be yes and my no be no. You know? But the truth is, sometimes we throw it out there but have no real depth of you know, investment in it. Or, you know, when somebody's in crisis and we, you, know, you might text or, you know, chuck on Facebook thoughts and prayers. You know, are we... Are we adding prayer to that? It doesn't have to be lengthy. It doesn't have to be. And we'll get down to what he prays in another message. But the point is, it's a pleasure to do so. It's a joy, is what he says. Now, joy, joy is a word that is going to come up again and again and again in Philippians. Joy, rejoicing, the whole theme of that. In fact, he mentions it like 11 times through this short letter. So it's a major theme, and here he has joy in praying for these people. Number three, he says, I have you in my heart. That's not surface level. That's not, this is an associate of mine who I kind of, like if I see you in Tesco's, banter, smiles, like you are in my heart. So there is a warmth here, there is a place for you in my life, right into the core of that. And then he says that it is right that he feels this way. And actually what he's saying, it's not just right as in, yeah, good one. He's saying it's righteous, like it's godly. It's a God-ordained, God-appointed thing that he feels that this in his heart for these people, particularly people such as those in Philippians, in the Philippian church, and we'll get to that in a moment, but a warning here, just a pause and a warning. There are some who seem to make it their life's mission to eradicate feelings out of faith. Like, don't have any part of that. Don't listen to it. If if you go so far down a theological avenue that you lose all sense of feelings, you've gone too far. And all you have is religiousness. And that's no good to you or to anybody else. And there are people, you will see them if you look on YouTube, who will criticize every ministry that they don't like. And they will come at it. Sometimes they're saying right things. But they come at it with this callous kind of attack. And a lot of what I hear from this quarter of the Christian world is that like we shouldn't have feelings in our worship. We shouldn't have feelings in terms of how we relate to each other. It should all be scripture and doctrine and theology. And that stuff's good and right, but if you disassociate that from feelings, you're basically spiritually dead. Paul 
talks about longing for them with the affection of Christ Jesus. Affection is a feelings word. It's not a cold academic word here. Jesus has affection for you. Can you hear that? For you, Jesus has affection for you. You might be sitting there thinking, why would anyone have affection for me? Why would anyone bother giving me a second glance or a second thought? Jesus Christ has affection for you. And if we stand in Christ, we will have affection for you also because the stirring of the Spirit occurs in our heart. You can't know Jesus and not have affection for other people. If you don't have affection, you don't know Jesus. And and that's a hard thing to say. It's a very hard thing to say. If you don't have affection for other believers... How, how can you say, I know Jesus, I, I, he's changed me, and not manifest the fruit of what that change looks like? If that's you today, I don't want you to feel that I'm coming down and like whacking you. I have affection for you, even if you have none for me. <laughs> Come and chat to me, because I want to pray the affection of Christ back into your life. You know... <laughs> By the way, I might get emotional, and it's not that I'm having a breakdown, okay? It's just like, God's grace. Like, if you start to feel what it is, how can you not be moved, you know? And, and when I talk about his grace, when I talk about the fact that on the cross of Jesus Christ, all of my sin was put upon his shoulders, that he bore the entire punishment that was to be leveled at me so that I can go free so that I can stand before God and say, I've got nothing, I'm not righteous, but I have Jesus' righteousness in my place. That's my claim. That's the gospel. You know, the word that Paul uses, Paul doesn't use the word affection, it's a really funny word, actually. The word he uses is bowels. Yes. I mean, that's a different message altogether, isn't it? Like, I, I mean, I don't even know. What he's saying, though, what you've got to understand is that in the Jewish culture, we talk about having a real heart for people. Like, we talk about the center of our feelings being from our heart in our modern Western culture. Back then, you would talk about your guts. That's where I felt my affection for you. So when Paul says, like, with the bowels, literally with the bowels of Jesus Christ, he's saying with the deepest place of Jesus Christ's affection, that's what I have for you. How amazing is that? I really pray for some of you that this is landing in some way. And what has stirred such gratitude and joy and affection? It's not because they have an excellent attendance record. It's not because they're a ton of standout individuals, like the A-team. You know why Jesus is the head of the church? It's because we would screw it up. It's because we would gather towards us a load of people that really suit us. We, we would get a ton of people that can do stuff really well. Professional Christians, you know, that's, that's what we would end up with. And actually, and I'm not criticizing mega church, like Hillsong provides this wonderful panoply of music 
Some of it, we, we just let it go. <laughs> Other things like, Christ alone, cornerstone. You know, these kind of things, I know they're taking old words and rejuvenating them, but there's power in that. There's a gift to the church. So I'm not criticizing mega church, but a problem with mega church is that it draws. It draws the very best musicians. It draws the very best kind of speakers. It draws the very best. And, and so it impoverishes in some way some of the other smaller churches in that town because everyone that could have gifted there like has gone to a big church. To, uh, you know, I don't ever want to be like that here. Church is not about gathering a ton of people that can do church really well for you. It's about gathering a group of people who are going to be church really well with you. There's a massive difference. And I want you to know today, you do not have to serve on any single team to be a part of this family. You don't have to pray out loud ever. You don't have to talk from the front. You don't need to do anything to be part of this church. All you need to do is decide, I'm a partaker of God's grace with you guys. I'm part of this family and I feel that that is, I'm accepted there. I'm only going to get through one point, I tell you, it's great. <laughs> That's the next four weeks of messages written, I love it. Are you tracking? Are you okay? It's not because these, these people, these Philippians, are going out and sticking it to the authorities, like, yeah, we're going to stand up for the church in this Roman world that we live in. Like, it wasn't that. And yes, there are times where we should stand as a church and say, hang on a minute, we're not accepting that. There's a time for that, but it's not the basis under which we gather and come together. And it's not because they're super popular in the community or within the church. You might struggle socially. And I'm going to talk to you for a second, because if you're a person who struggles in a social environment, you're shy or you just find it difficult to relate to other people, you don't know what to say, whatever it is. I mean, Margaret and I are both people, sorry, Margaret, who are quite happy to stand here in front of, I, I mean, honestly, I don't think there's an upper number like that would phase me in terms of standing here and, and speaking, but put me in front of one person who I don't know, and I'm like... I don't know what to say. And so I talk about the weather and I say, what do you do? And like, I come out with all these rubbish, like one line kind of things. I know some of you feel that as well. If you struggle socially more so than that, by the way, you're welcome here. You don't have to fit in. You do fit in. Okay. Is it because his affection? Is it because they have a similar style, like they've got an agreement? Is it because of similar personalities, like we, we click together? Is it that they've got a sense of humor, because that really helps? And by the way, I love the Connect group for that, because every so often you get a great bit of banter between the Bennett brothers that just sets the whole place on fire, and I love it. Is it because of their usefulness or their service? Is it their wealth or their generosity? Is it their holiness? Is it their friendship? These are all good things, but they're terrible family values. You, your family doesn't operate on how wealthy everyone is in the family, how generous people are. If you've got a stingy uncle, okay, we love him. He's a stingy uncle, but he's our stingy uncle. I am that stingy uncle, by the way. <laughs> I'm thankful that they love me anyway. 
I think when Abby was 18, I gave her five pounds for her birthday. Yes. <laughs> All of these things are good things, but they make for a rubbish family. A family can fall out and still be family. Yeah, there are families that fall out in a big way and hurt, and the church shouldn't be like that. We should be leading the way. This is what family looks like. This is what community looks like. That's why we keep talking about kingdom community. I'm going to condense our entire vision as a church view into one word, family. That's it. Whether you've arrived here for the first time today, whether you've been here for 50 years, family. Like, it's not ad hoc. It's not optional. It's family. I'm actually going to stop one point in. We'll come back to the distinction of partnership and see how far we get in, in a few weeks' time. Uh, Margaret next week is going to speak on Lydia because this is a backstory. Margaret and Andrew are going to give us some backstory over the next three weeks into this uh, book of, or this letter of Philippians. Uh, and then at the end of October, I'll be back from my holiday. I'm not on holiday for the whole of October, by the way. At the end of October, I'll be back from my holiday and I'll pick this up. But God is doing something in this place. But it's not about the music. I mean, it's fantastic, and I'm loving hearing the church finding a new level of freedom in expressing worship. I love that. Keep going, keep exploring, keep joyfully finding that there's always more there. Come, come on up, Ian. Come on up. I, I bang on about partnership, about fellowship, about family quite a lot. You know why? It's because it's one of the most important things for us to get. Uh, and we leak, so we forget, uh, and, and it's good to be reminded. But look, this church isn't going to grow on numbers, it's going to grow on heart. Uh, and it needs to be a church whose heart looks out as well as in. It needs to be a church where somebody can walk in from the street even if they're drunk, even if they're stoned, and feel that there's such a warmth here, and I'm talking about warmth that goes beyond a welcome. It's easy to give somebody a welcome. It's much harder to make those first steps of walking with somebody, but church, please do it. Please. You know, it's something that you're good at. And so what I want to do is get this massive kind of beta thing and just fan it into flame. Just let it, let it burn. Let it consume this town because Satan doesn't have a chance if we get that. Let's stand together, guys.